We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined this week by a chess escapee, although he hasn't escaped entirely. He is an international master and an author. He was a top British scholastic player. He's basically retired from OTB competitive chess, but he's gone on to lots of success outside of the chess world. Um, and unlike a lot of uh, chess competitive retirees. He's still very active, posting a lot of puzzles on chess Twitter, playing a lot of blitz and all that stuff. And I had a feeling he'd have some fun stories outside of chess. He has a BS in computer science. He's been an active investor in small biotech companies and is currently the CEO of biotech startup eTherapeutics. So without further ado, let's welcome to the show international master Ali Murtazavi. Ali, welcome. Thank you, Ben. That's a very nice introduction. The nicest I've ever had. Oh wow, I'm I'm honored. But yeah, I've been I've wanted to talk to you for a long time just because I, I see everything that you post. I know I get the sense you're friendly with people like or maybe enemies, we'll find out. <laughs> Lawrence Trent and Peter Spidler and people like that. So I've often just wanted to hear your chess story. And then more recently, Ali, I'm reading uh, Michael Adams' dad's books as I messaged you because I'll be interviewing him shortly. And your name came up a couple times and that uh, sort of rejiggered my interest. So <laughs> out of curiosity, Ali, let's, let's hear your chess story. You were a, a strong young player. What was your introduction to chess, Ali? Yeah, I was thinking about that before the interview. Um, I think I think I started playing chess when I was probably like seven years old or something. And then my family and I came over after the Iranian Revolution, let's say, I don't know, 1981 or something like that. Um, and I don't really remember why I played in a chess tournament. I think, oh, yeah, I, I just played in a chess tournament. I didn't actually speak any English. So I was probably, what, what was I, 10, 11 years old? Um and somehow 
I remember actually winning it with 11 out of 11. I was a bit bemused, really, to be honest. So, um, and actually, this, so 1981, this is very odd. You mentioned Michael Adams, because I actually played in the British under 11 championships, and I played Michael Adams in the last round. <laughs> uh, and I actually, to this day, have, this, have the game, and I sent it to him a few years back. So, actually, quite a good game, really, to be honest. Uh, that was a draw. Um, but I didn't really sort of. I can't really remember becoming a good chess player, if you see what I mean. Well, but if you're getting 11 out of 11 straight away, is that because you were, like, getting some instruction, or do you think you just had some talent? What's the story there, Ali? No, that's what I mean. There was, I mean, I've never played a chess tournament before, so, like, in the space of six months, maybe, maybe even less, I was playing the British in the under-11 championships. I mean, that's no great feat, but I think I came third and drew with Michael. Uh, Adams in the last round, actually, it was a piece up, should have won, or come second. So this is what I mean. It's it's kind of just happened pretty quickly, um, and there was no sort of tuition in between, or even practice, to be honest. Um, and I don't even remember liking chess that much, but <laughs> I was sort of somehow, <laughs> by an unfathomable reason, reasonably good at it. There's a, there's a lot of uh you know struggling amateurs listening like shaking their fist at you now Ali <laughs> yeah I can imagine but uh, tr- trust me the journey gets even more difficult so it's no bed of roses but yeah I mean that's kind of my earliest memory of playing in the UK and then obviously after that British Under Eleven Championships I think I played a lot more and uh, you know then I did do kind of I, I did play a lot and practiced a lot just playing tournaments to be honest. And did you ever end up, you mentioned that you didn't have much in the way of instruction early on. Did you ever end up like oh, getting a coach or were you pretty much self-taught? I mean, I remember a couple of lessons, believe it or not, with Michael Basman. He still reminds me of it when I bump into him. But other than that, no, not really. I mean, it was all, I mean, maybe like chess wasn't really taken seriously, not by my parents, but my, like my, I don't remember my parents that were watching me play chess. You know, I just went off the chess tournaments, even from a very young age, you know. The idea of, I don't know, when I was 12, the idea of me letting my 12-year-old kids go on the train on their own to, like, I don't know, Portsmouth to play chess and no mobile phones is, like, a nightmare. (laughs) But somehow, I just did. And I just used to go off on my own, and I just used to play tournaments uh, on my own and come back. And sometimes, you know, there weren't always junior tournaments either. There were sort of adult tournaments. So I would say vast majority, not even self-taught, just playing. Yeah, it's interesting how as a fellow dad, you know, as you allude to, like I used to traipse all over Philadelphia without a uh, <laughs> cell phone taking public transportation. Yeah. And, and now even with cell phones, as parents, we feel like we can't just send our kids off somewhere. It's, it's yeah. strange how things have changed. I wouldn't even let them off, let them go with three mobile phones. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just... Literally, I've been to every small town, city, everywhere in the UK from a very young age. Yeah, and then you had enough success where you're going to like World Youth Championships in Puerto Rico. Uh, you had mentioned to me that you played in that, and I tried to get some info on it online. It's pretty sparse, but my understanding was it was the first one. Is that correct? Mm, I don't think it was the first one. I think it was a regular tournament. Actually, I can't. I couldn't find it either. Um, I remember looking a few years ago, but it was a pretty big event. I mean, there were some, you know, very, very good players. Like, so I played in the under-18s. This was in 1988, so maybe I was 17. I think the winner of that event was a Co- Vladimir Kopian, who went on, I think, to become some sort of FIDE world champion. Um, I think I came fifth or sixth. Um, Ilya Gurevich was second or something like that. But, in, you know, in the under-16s and under-14s were Kramnik, Tokolov, um, so it was a, you know, it was a proper sort of festival. Um, yeah, you could say so. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, even then it was a bit of a strange event. Puerto Rico is quite far away. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think it was three weeks. You know, again, I didn't like speak to my parents or call them. So no. you went on your own? Yeah. Amazing. Actually, and did I you know Matthew there? Sadler went with us. I remember that. Oh, wow. Shout out to Matthew. Yeah, he played in the, I can't remember how much younger than me he is. Um, But it was a British contingent. But yeah, we were kind of on our own. And And someone like Matthew, a lot of chess players are in awe of him because 
he he seems to accomplish more than, than we do uh, in a shorter period of time. What were your chess experiences at, at an early age? Were you like, uh, uh, did you know that he was going to be a star? Mm, yeah, I mean Matthew is just yeah. You could tell who. I mean, like probably in my age closest. I mean, he's younger than me. Was age closest well, competitor in inverted commas was Michael Adams, uh, people like that. But yeah, you could tell immediately who's going to be really good and not. And almost always they became IMs or GMs. Well, in the case of Michael Adams, he became everything. Um, but yeah, it was a strange time. I mean, like, you know, British chess players almost like pr- pride in themselves on doing no work whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> like, actually, even slightly older um, people who are friends of mine, obviously very good friends of mine, David Norwood, even Julian Hodgson. We really just did nothing we just played a lot uh, and we played blitz a lot and we didn't really learn any opening theory or any sort of classical chess concepts. I mean, maybe they were doing it without telling me, but I didn't anyway. Um, you know, very, very, you know, very little. It was almost like a sort of badge of honor that we could play, you know, very, very good players and Russian players without actually doing any work at all. And they were obviously very, very kind of classically trained almost. But no one ever pulled you aside as a young player and said, Ali, you're representing Great Britain. You're not allowed to study. No, no one did that. But then again, no one really. <laughs> no one's just like, yeah, you kind of left your own devices and uh, kind of made things up as you sort of went along, to be honest. But um, yeah, I mean, we they're pretty good, yeah. That kind of generation of people. I mean, you know, I would say obviously people like Michael Adams, uh, Matthew Sadler, like a proper cut above. Um, but I would say, you know, that whole let's say five year generation, how old am I? 45 or something, 45 to 51 year olds, you know, genuine raw talent more than anything else, much more than yeah. anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, in reading Michael Adams dad's books which are a fun little stroll through british chess history in particular but yeah that's sort of the impression i get i mean it's a lot of tournaments they had a packed schedule but you don't read that much about like him getting coached and stuff and actually ali we have um we have a question from a supporter of the podcast shubham kumtakar Mm -hmm. related to michael adams and he just mentions what were your learnings from your multiple encounters against the living legend michael adams were you able to Um, use these lessons in later games actually strangely i had a very good record against him. Um, it's just one of those sort of things that, a bit like boxing, actually. Y- you know, certain players' styles clash, and I could create enough chaos on the board against him. And, you know, he's such a unbelievable kind of classic positional chess player. Um, and it was just, I, I could just, annoy him more than <laughs> whereas other people you know he he would just dominate like from the opening and just you know have a vice like grip on them but you know conversely i also played i had other opponents who were just i just had no chance against they just used to kill me um but uh he uh, yeah i mean he he was and is a completely you know unique chess talent a unique innate chess talent and that struck you early on oh god yeah i mean he it's just his his sense of well i mean as opposed there's lots of good chess players with different styles but him in particular for someone like me you know like he could he can control a chess position with infinite precision forever it seems um and he, he would just beat people or they would just beat themselves because he just had that knack. And for me, it was always something I just, to this day, actually can't do. It's just like, I just, I try, but it just always gets out of hand, if you like. So so you're like a tactical, <laughs> you're like, you take people to a deep, dark forest, basically, in your game. <laughs> well, actually, sometimes I don't, I don't mean to, but uh, actually, to be honest, when I, I think, became an IM, there was a period where my first IM was when I was 17. Actually, I played Michael Adams in that tournament and lost, and I played Vichyana in that tournament and drew. Wow. But uh, then it took me, well, seven years, which really I thought I was going to be an IM within maybe six months. <laughs> in my next tournament, I thought I was going to get an IM norm. But um, 
it just, I don't know, something, I kind of hit a wall or something, lots of things happened. But a kind of decent improvement came when I actually became an IM is when I just made a sort of mental decision just to like try it like him, slow down and just let opponents beat themselves, weaker opponents than me. Whereas, you know, in the past, I was just always actively trying to wipe people off the board, which is pretty hard work. And obviously you hit your limits with that. That makes sense, yeah. Um, and what were the early encounters with with Vishianan like? Uh, were you, again, what was were you immediately struck by him? I mean, oh, his the stories about him as a teen are legendary. I mean, the first time I saw him play chess, maybe probably was thirteen, fourteen. He was maybe the same age ish. He just unbelievable talent. He would turn up. He would spend five minutes in like five hour games and just smash every Russian grandmaster off the board. Huh. Uh, he was again, like you, you know, you always can tell the levels difference. Uh, you know, he's a cut above. And were you doing post mortems typically when you play these other young talents, Ali? Oh yeah, I mean, that kind of it was rude not to. I, I don't think I've ever not done a post mortem, even if I've lost horribly. It's like kind of one of those not not done things, if you like. Right. <laughs> even if you lose. You know, you just take it on the chin and you go and look at the game and, you know, there was no tantrums or anything like that. I mean, that was part of, I think, being a good chess player is about dusting yourself down and saying, oh, well, things happen, <laughs> maybe in life in general. Yeah. Do you, I mean, we'll talk more about your business career later, but do you think that like that ability, that like that experience you just described, did that help you business-wise? <laughs> I'm actually I'm not very good at it. <laughs> so, um, you, you had me. You had me fooled. Um, well, again, it's it's all a question of levels. I mean, maybe I am quite good at it, but as you get better and better at chess, like that kind of patience and being able to sort of recover from bad losses are like incredibly important. And the better players just do better at it. Or even in a during a game when you've got a really good position or even a winning position and suddenly you mess it up. The the ability to be able to recalibrate and just go, okay, look, I'm gonna start again. Something I was very bad at. Very much a kind of momentum chess player. Hmm. Maybe in life maybe in life too. <laughs> <laughs> so high highs and low lows? Mm-hmm. Well just setbacks were just hard to sort of recalibrate whereas when things went well then yeah i was kind of pretty good then yeah and i had some more questions about your your young travels like again i i looked you up in chess base and you went to the world open in 1989 so you would have been 18 i believe yeah um i mean that's a big trip was that another one you went without family <clears throat> yeah and three of my very good friends who I think two IMs now and one gm uh, we all went alone in the plane and we stayed in the well, whatever the hotel was. Probably the Adams Mark, right? Yeah, it was nice hotel. And then, uh, yeah, I remember literally as soon as we landed, we went and found the Blitz room in the basement, which was full of rappers I and rem- played all night, all night for money. I remember it well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we pretty much cleaned them out and nearly died a few times. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was a good experience. Um yeah, it was fun times, but again, yeah, very much alone, and you know, now now thinking back, it's pretty, you know, or maybe then eighteen is is recoverable, but even then, you know, when I think about it, I don't know if my son was really into chess and he was really good at chess, like maybe I was at a point. Being with him, and you know, sometimes you just need an adult to sort of say, "Oh, it'd be okay, don't worry about it," or something. It's hard, you know, it's hard to recover. Yeah, and were you getting in any trouble, like, away from the board? I mean, obviously, the the British, uh, you know, the British chess contingent has a reputation for drinking a fair amount. Like, uh, you know, even in, uh, again, even in Michael Adams' book, his dad talks about, like, Michael, Michael, <laughs> like, he didn't work, he didn't study super hard in between rounds. Like, what was the in-between round like life like for you yeah. when you were traveling like that? Yeah, in between rounds were exactly as you said. <laughs> a lot of drinking, a lot of poker playing all night, <laughs> a lot of not sleeping. Again, badge of honor to be able to turn up the next day with no sleep and still win. Uh, that was, well, 
a good story to tell. But when I think back, you know, it's kind of like you get older. You think, Jesus, why didn't I just do some work? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, why didn't I actually just like look up an opening <laughs> once? <laughs> uh, well, I, mean, I still to this day don't know any chess openings. Well, I mean, it's, you made it pretty far for not knowing any openings. Um, mm-hmm. We've got another listener question, Ali, which is, uh, and this is mm-hmm. from Alex Friedman. Thanks for supporting Perpetual Chess, Alex. And Alex asks, he says, what was your most memorable OTB game? <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't played for so long. And, you know, it's, it's funny. So, like, I played in the World Under 18 in 1988 or whatever, 89, something like that. I became an IM at 94, but I went to university for three years. So, actually, I think I played chess as a junior solidly up to the age of 17, let's say, maybe. And then there was a break. Then I played for a year and became an IM. And then I just didn't really play at all. Maybe I've like played 10 rated games and even they were pretty ridiculous. So actually I haven't, sometimes I, I wonder compared to other people, I just hardly played chess when you actually look, think about it. in the sort of, I don't actually have that many rated full classical games. Um, but I think such a lot, well, actually beating, Ian Rogers with Black in the last round of the British Championship to get an IM norm was pretty good. Yeah, legend. Yeah, that was uh, that was you know <laughs> that was a that was a good tournament because you know as I said I played, I played a lot of GMs there. I played Michael Adams, I played Vishiana, and I played maybe everyone was a GM and an, and an IM. Um, and um, that was a pretty good game. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Really, no, actually, it was a question I was asking myself. Have I actually played any good games? <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was a you know. So yeah, because because really, one of the main things is I really feel as though I've hardly played chess. Um, and it kind of like maybe that's part of the reason why I I wouldn't say I play chess now, but I'm kind of. Well, I think I play a lot more blitz chess or chess in general than I ever did. Right, and do you? Like, is it an escape for you? Is it the intellectual challenge? What what keeps you coming back, Ali? Hmm. Like, so what did I do? I became an IM, then I gave up chess and went to work in the city. But I, there was a period where chess really just annoyed me. I think it was because I just never felt like I got even close to how good I could have been. And so it was just like too painful to even look at it. So for years, maybe 10 years more, from the age of 23 to whatever, 35, I had two kids, three kids. And I would almost never look, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what happened in the world championships or any games. I mean, now I can sort of see them happening, but at the time I never looked at anything. And then maybe at the age of, I don't know, 37 ish, maybe it was a London chess classic in London around the corner from my house. And I went and then it was like, you know, chess is, actually quite fun compared to real life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just, I was just taking it too seriously. And then, but the kind of horse had bolted. I could never really play professional chess or even, you know, proper classical chess. So I just had to kind of play blitz chess. And, but I just began to sort of not take it so seriously and just enjoy it for what it is. And, and Ali, I mean, it seems like you've been reasonably successful in your professional life. Now that you have this rekindled interest, do you, do you contemplate like early retirement and more competitive chess or do you like having it as a (laughs) sideline? Um, the problem, the problem with classical chess is I think my personality is not suited to it. It takes too long. Um, you know, you don't get the kind of volume of games in one a day, you know, you have to go away for a long time. It's just not designed for, you know, whatever, even if I so-called retire, still got family and kids and things. And I just don't think I could ever do it. But, uh, you know, occasionally I've had some crazy idea that I could could actually become a GM if I really like actually did something. (laughs) And I think the answer is yes, but maybe the answer is actually just no, because, ultimately it's about part of it is actually having to do that <laughs> play one a game a day um etc etc yeah uh, noel studer i don't know if you saw this tweet the other day grandmaster with a great blog he's been on the yeah. podcast he tweeted 95 percent of ims can make gm 
It's just that mm. the, the, the path is too hard. They, they just, it, the work is too much. And John Bartholomew chimed in and basically agreed <laughs> um, as someone. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with yeah. that. Um, but it's just too, you know, the good thing about playing online or whatever, you get to play volumes of games. You know, if there was some online, I don't know, let's say rapid play GM title, and I could play maybe three, four, five games a day, then it's sort of something which is doable and practical. But the idea of sort of getting my suitcase and going to, well, Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Philadelphia is pretty nice, but uh, going to Hungary or something like that um, and like playing, no, no, I just can't be doing that anymore. But uh, actually, weirdly, even though I haven't played chess, I'm definitely a much, much better chess player than even at my supposed peak rating. So why do you think that I is? Feel, I feel as though it is. Yeah, I think it's maybe pretty normal, but maybe, I don't know. It's um, it's a kind of like, I, I'm, I can see so much more and I can analyze with other people and look at positions and I've got pretty good, pretty good handle on all chess positions, even compared to the computer. I sometimes surprise myself, but uh, it's, kind of like, I don't know, maybe it's just without the pressure, it's easier. But I, I feel as though, like, I, was, I don't know how I got to whatever level I got to before, because I felt like I was rubbish. When I look at my old games, even from a long time ago, they look so pathetic. Now, um, you mentioned computers, Ali. In, in your mm -hmm. CV on your, your company's <laughs> website, it mentioned that you were kind of like a pioneer in the chess computer space. Mm -hmm. So what did you do? Well... I mean, I did a computer science degree, so that was pretty hardcore programming. Actually, my main chess, my project, uh, which was a big programming project, was actually writing a chess database, like chess base from scratch, which in those days, you know, it really was from scratch. <laughs> like, you literally had to, like, program the menus even, like, you know, file, new, open. And even the chess pieces, I remember, were like, you know, you couldn't, there were no libraries of anything. You didn't just sort of drag and drop something and, and program it. Every last inch had to be programmed. And then the hard bit came, which is the actual database at the back and search functions and whatever. Um, I can't remember what year it was. Maybe it was a year after I worked for Intel as a consultant who was sponsoring chess. Actually, I remember setting up the lit, I think it was with ICC, the world's first simultaneous display. So Kasparov came to their offices in Munich and I set up all the computers and all the connections, and he played like a sort of simultaneous display, which sounds ridiculously simple now. But in those days, he was cutting out the whole time. He was losing his temper. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, it really wasn't much fun at all. But uh, that was actually quite a lot of work, you know, to kind of get that sort of going. But, yeah, I mean, it's just that I was doing kind of a lot of, you know, in those days, it's a kind of weird concept that the oldest game in the world, chess, even in 1991, you know, we were using, or well, we had access to databases. Okay, and the engines were pretty crappy, but but still, like, it was a sort of template for the world now. You know, well, actually, even the business that I'm in now, kind of, people talk about big data and machine learning algorithms, and okay, oh, and machine learning algorithms, but chess in 1991 was a prototype of the future. Um, and, you know, we were trying to program databases and extract games and blah, 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 and find things, patterns. And did you have a sense that the world was moving in that direction or did you study computer science just out of personal interest? <laughs> I studied, you're not going to believe me, I wasn't actually going to go to university. I didn't actually get it. I didn't even apply. And then I was walking past one and I remember thinking, oh, my dad's not very happy with me. <laughs> And I remember, I'd never even seen a computer, literally, early days of PCs. So I remember walking into this university, to the reception, and saying, I'd like to do a computer science course. And the kind of woman looked at me as if I was insane. But she pointed me to the head of department. It's actually a true story. She said, up there, turn right, or whatever. So I went there, up there, turn right. I knocked on this guy's door. I don't know how. I sat down, and he asked me a few questions, and he said, oh, all right, come along. <laughs> that was, so I came along the next two weeks or whatever, and I, and I basically enrolled for the course. Um, and literally, I didn't, I didn't even know what a computer was. Um, so it's pretty 
pretty tricky, to be honest. <laughs> uh, so that's how I got into computer science. It wasn't by any kind of, uh, you know, deep career thinking. Amazing. But, and then obviously again, you've, it's turned out pretty well for you. So do you, what do you attribute that to? What the computer science part? No, like the fact that like you, you make it sound like you kind of accidentally got good at chess and became an IM and then you accidentally <laughs> studied computer science, but here you are like the CEO of a company, you've been a successful investor. So did, like, did you do anything like to, is there anything you take credit for along the way? Well, now, now that you mention it, actually everything I've done it seems to be some sort of accident <laughs> because uh, because after I got my IM norm, I remember kind of thinking, oh, I need to earn some money, right? And I think I met my friend Dave Nord in the pub, and then he kind of said, oh, "Do you want a job in the city?" And I'm like, "Okay," and that was it. So I turned up the next day in the in the private bank, which kind of actually sponsored chess for you know on the side anyway. I didn't know anything about finance either. You know, it's not like I knew anything about economics or kind of accounting. So that got kind of started. Um, yeah, and then I spent a long time in the city, you know, a lot of kind of trading and you know, I've done everything, everything humanly possible when it comes to the financial markets in terms of equities, options, investing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, there's a common thread through all of it, some sort of numbers, right. maths, computation as a whole. Um, and then I left the city, when is it, 2008? I just kind of had enough and... Three years later, I think again. Now, now I'm talking about this. This all sounds so absurd. I got I refinanced a, a biotech company, which was looked quite interesting to me. And for some idiotic reason, I decided to become the CEO. Of it. <laughs> I didn't actually know anything about. But I mean, I do know something about biotech investing, but you know, running a biotech is fundamentally different uh, to actually um, you know investing in one. And I guess one common thread there was I wasn't quite that crazy. It was that this was a kind of genetics-based company, and somehow you know DNA, RNA, the code, AGTCs, numbers. There's a kind of like you know common thread there as well. It's always some sort of patterns, et cetera, et cetera. So like it sounds absurdly high level, but that's I kind of thought, well look, I don't understand chemistry and biology at all, really. But somehow I, I thought this when I this looks like doable, which it was and wasn't. It was bloody difficult <laughs> and still is. Um and then I guess the latest company, which I'm a CEO of, it's actually not a startup, it's a listed company. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, that's a, no, it's right. No, I wish it was a startup sometimes. Um, it's uh, really the coming together of all of it because it's computational approaches to biology and genetics, as well as drug discovery and drug development. Um, and actually, the computation part, when we say computational biology, it's kind of not. I wouldn't say exactly the same, but there's a really kind of a commonality between chess and chess engines and databases again. So, you know, what we try and do at eTherapeutics is we try and model a biological function in a computer. Um, and a biological function, I mean, I'm not going to go into the detail of it, but in effect is like trying to sort of, it's like a chessboard. So it's just a very complicated chessboard. And we're trying to have algorithms which can work out what's going on within this biological functional chessboard um, in order to be able to sort of make drugs and genetics and sort of is at the core of it, if you like. Um, so, you know, maybe by some accident, everything's sort of, I don't know, congregated around something. Huh. Um, <laughs> and. I wanted to circle back, Ali. You mentioned uh, David Norwood. For listeners who aren't familiar, kind of legendary British GM who's been quite successful in financial markets in his own right. Actually, uh, listeners who heard my interview with uh, Joel Benjamin and Harold Scott about winning the World Open, there's a funny story that we shared about David Norwood uh, uh, having a lot of drinks during a World Open game. Um, but that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Ali, you mentioned that he's the one that that mentioned a job in financial markets. So does that mean mm -hmm. that like chess kind of got you got your foot in the door? Was it because of your chess connection that you were able to set on this path that you just described? 
Yeah, probably. I mean, look, David Nord is one of my, maybe my best friend. I, I do a lot of business. He's a shareholder in my company. Um, but we've done huge amounts of ventures together, you know, so I've you know known him since I was 12 years old, you know, when I first met him. Um, chess, yeah, the chess got me through the door because it gave the false impression somehow that I was clever and good at maths, <laughs> which is actually none of them are actually that true at all. I'm actually not good at maths. But it's an impression that persists to this day. <laughs> it's a good impression. Yeah, I, I, I do a good impression of it, that's for sure. But uh, but there are certain skills that chess players do have, which I think are very important in almost any business life. Um, probably one of them is what I described before is, okay, so I wasn't so good at sort of dusting myself down after a loss or, you know, but what I realized is when I joined the city and finance, you would have thought that those guys are sort of real hard and, you know, they really kind of know what they're doing. They're pretty soft compared to chess players. Huh. <laughs> like chess players, they don't realize it, but it's hard to play a game. You know, when you think about a game of chess, every single move is a decision. And it doesn't matter how good or bad you are it's a critical decision for that game. Right? And the better and better you get at chess, the more, um, you know, acute those decisions get. Uh, and it becomes such a fine line. And even if you're playing blitz chess, you're making a decision constantly. I mean, how many bullet games have I played? Like hundreds of thousands of three minute games. And I sort of one day thought, hey, how, how many decisions have I actually made in my life? And it's in the millions probably. Right. And then, you know, what you realize is that, out there, people—it's not normal to be making that many decisions, which make a difference to something continuously, twenty-four-seven. That's a great insight. Wow! Yeah, and uh, it—you know—as you get good at chess, it hardens you up to the to the real world. And to be honest, I found the real world much easier than playing chess and finance, for example, and. It was like I went from like trying to beat 2,600 chess players, which is just unbelievably efficient monsters and 2,700s. And I felt like I was playing, you know, 1,000 rated players with less. Wow. 800. So, you know, I learned in finance that you could be an 800 equivalent rated, but still make a lot of money and be the most successful person. <laughs> Now, that's not the reputation of finance. Most people, I mean, obviously, it's financially rewarding, but most people will say it's one of the most challenging fields in the world. So what do you, nah. what do you think? <laughs> so, it's a joke compared <laughs> to professional chess. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure some listeners would like some, would like some advice from you, um, but maybe we can take that offline. Um, so Ali, I've got, I, I want to ask you about a bunch of players. I know you've had some famous encounters, but uh, first, so I want to do some free association, but first we're going to take a break and uh, hear from our sponsors. New courses from our friends at chessable.com include Adi Bond's E4, a lifetime repertoire from the entertaining Indian Grandmaster. Speaking of entertaining, I am Andres Toth has an E4 for beginners course out that I think is a great choice if you're newer to chess and looking to tighten up your opening repertoire with white. Uh, Grandmaster Simon Williams, the Ginger GM, is out with a video version of the classic book, The Life and Games of Mikhail Tal. That's coming in April. So there's lots of good stuff. And of course, whatever you get from Chessable, it includes their proprietary move trainer technology, which utilizes space repetition to make sure you remember the patterns that you learn. So be sure to go to chessable.com and check out their full library of courses that are available both for free and for purchase. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
And we are back. And again, in in, uh, my intrepid internet research, I see people that Ali has played, people that he's encountered. So I'm going to just throw some names at him and see what he thinks of. Um, So let's start with Fabiano Caruana, Ali. (laughs) What do I think of him? Just tell me what comes to mind. Fabiano Caruana, he's got one of the most unusual styles of chess. Most chess players, I can work out their styles, you know, what they like, what they don't like. But he's he's just very unusual in that he's not amazing at any one thing, but he's just very, very, very good, stroke brilliant at everything. Um, almost just very computer-like. It's, it's very hard to work out, you know, an adjective for him is he an attacking chess player? Is he, you know, like I think you could bucket um, Michael Adams, for example, quite easily, Kasparov, you know, easily, Karpov, etc. But I just, he's a kind of very unusual in that respect. Yeah, what comes to mind for, for me are amazing opening preparation <laughs> and great calculation ability. But but I agree, he's not as easily yeah. categorized as some of the other elite players. So maybe, maybe that's it, actually. His amazing calculation abilities. He's very impartial to the position. Yeah. It's just he he just calculates it. He doesn't really feel it, maybe. Yeah, that could be. And you played in both OTB and Bullet OTB, right? I have. I was I had missed a one-move win against him OTB, which was a bit Wow. <laughs> oh, I should have looked at the game um, closer. <laughs> it, was, it was actually a very, as usual, complete chaos. But uh, I remember literally blundering on move six, a pawn. You know, one of those totally embarrassing, like ridiculous opening traps, which I just never like even thought about, even though I've played the opening about a million times. I just forgot about it. Um, and then I kind of just, I remember, I remember thinking, oh, well, let's just pretend I sacrificed it. <laughs> and then I just carried on and uh, it just got completely crazy. And then, you know, not to be, he was world number one in it, uh, Rapid. That's amazing. So this is the classical game. You basically spot. No, this is like a this is a, a rapid game. Okay. In wow. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. And uh. And then you played some friendly bullet with them as well, right? Yeah, but bullet is just bullet. I mean, over the board bullet is so different to yeah um, internet bullets. You know, the pre-moving completely changes everything. Over the over the board bullet in my day when I was really young, I, I could move pieces fast. Actually, moving a piece fast and pressing the clock is a big skill in of itself. Yeah, and keeping the pieces from falling over and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember playing a Yugoslav guy once, and he would, I don't know how he did it, he'd move and be able to press the clock with his elbow, like, in milliseconds. <laughs> like, Jesus. So how did you do that? And he was unbeatable. I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's some wizards out there. Um, all right, next name for you, Ali, uh, founder of DeepMind slash out creator of Alpha Zero, Demis Hasabas. Oh, Demis. Long history with Demis. I mean, obviously, Demis has, has you know, made some profound, I don't know, technologies, really game-changing, you know, things that people couldn't do in a million lifetimes. And he's a very good friend of mine. We socialize together. We argue together. Uh, he always always claiming he's quite. He always says that if he had time to play chess, he'd be better than me. I always, <laughs> classic I chess always, players argument. Yeah, and I always say to him that if he lived a million years and practiced, he'd never be better than me. <laughs> and we always end up having a huge row, and then we don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see quite a lot of times. Haven't for a few months, but uh, yeah, we always have a good time with our friends together. Always play chess. That's great. Is there, so when you two get together, it's sort of in your social circles, are there any other chess players that are typically there? Yeah, I mean, we Lawrence Trent is always there. I mean, even during lockdown, we were playing some friendly poker games with Magnus. You're, with, you're stepping on all my questions, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> with Peter Swidler. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, any number of people could be there. And uh, and is this uh, in person? Uh, yeah, a lot of it is in person. Yeah, you know, can we come around to my house? Or you know, quite a lot of times at my house recently, actually. Um, 
and there's always there's always some game going on of some of some variety maybe not so much chess but other games actually you know i think dennis in particular loves he loves every game like he's just obsessed with it every i mean literally the games that he plays i don't even know how he has the time he's always bringing with a couple of other friends some weird board games and they're always like playing some variant of some game and i'm just like look I'm just a vanilla kind of chess, <laughs> no, no limit holdem guy. Right. <laughs> I actually don't like variants. I find even chess, I, I really don't like that Fisher Random. It's not that I don't like it. I just can't. And it annoys me that the pieces are in the wrong squares. <laughs> so despite your, despite your not knowing any openings. Yeah, it's maybe it's because of that. It's because for me, like real chess, still has so much I don't know that I don't feel the need that I've even got close to exhausting it. I still get surprised by openings that I just should know, but I don't. And you mentioned Magnus; he was next on my list. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you what do you think of when you think of Magnus? What do I think about Magnus. Magnus is a pretty cool dude. Really, he's like obviously like, by far and away the best chess player that's ever lived. Um, but he's pretty normal and grounded and, you know, easygoing and fair and, you know, it's just a bit unusual for the very, very best of something. Uh, maybe he was a little bit quirky when he was younger, but now as he's grown older, he's, you know, he's got that kind of being the best and being a really kind of guy you could hang out with. Yeah, that's the impression that I get as well. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned playing poker with him. As we record this, he just moved on to day two of the Norwegian poker. Championship. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. So could you describe yeah. his game? Is he tight? Is he aggressive? What's uh, He's like Magnus at chess. It's like uh, I play poker like I play chess. In fact, everybody plays poker, I think, as they play chess. It's, yeah. In fact, I'm, I've got a theory that your chess style reflects your personality. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. So in terms of Magnus, that suggests to me he's uber practical and probably somewhat like balanced. You know, obviously poker players, some can bluff too much, some bluff too little, but it sounds like you think he's about right. He's got the full range, yeah. I mean, he's tried it on with me a few times and I've called him and he's thrown his hands up. <laughs> but he's a, he's, a, he's a good player. Yeah, he's, there's no question. He's, he's good at everything he, because he's he's got that insane will to win. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Next name for you, uh, Gary Kasparov. Gary Kasparov. He's a bit more old school, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, well, um, you know, an incredible chess player, obviously. But uh, I don't know. I think I, my impression is that recently he's obviously got older and a little bit more easygoing. Um, but, you know, he's a pretty intense guy and that intensity is why he's so good at chess um but i think he's uh, he's got an unbelievable energy just for things right. <laughs> um you know like it's being with him is like talking to him even or whatever it doesn't matter what you're doing you could be talking about the weather it's like a whirlwind a hurricane yeah, and you mentioned meeting him in those early days at Intel, and then you encountered him at like a Pro Biz Cup charity thing. Have you had many other interactions with him, Ali? Yeah, I mean, at those Intel things, I was really that kind of idiot in the corner, but kind of obviously knew it, not knew him. But as I got older, actually, he did a he came to one of our research and development days in my old company, and he did a talk. Um, I invited him to come, and he came, and he talked about artificial intelligence. He managed to insult me as a chess player in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's fair, though, for coming from Yeah, him. exactly. But uh, but he would never play me at Blitz when I wanted him to. <laughs> so uh, he, uh, he, yeah, I mean, I just think he's a very kind of different personality to someone like Magnus. Um, but... Uh, well, clearly like an unbelievably intelligent guy and supremely fast and getting older like the rest of us, so probably cooling down a bit. Right. Okay, and the, the next name for you is another legend, uh, Lawrence Trent. Lawrence Trent, yep. Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence Trent. What can we say about Lawrence Trent? Lawrence Trent, Lawrence Trent is actually an unbelievably talented chess player. Um, 
but like all of us, you know, it's hard. I think um, if he really wanted to, he could be a very good chess player. But in order to do that, <clears throat> you know, you got to kind of make some changes. It's like you can't do the same thing um, all the time. Yeah, you got to. So everyone hits a, a kind of limit of talent, and it's not even so much hard work. He does. He does actually work quite hard. It's. I think sometimes he works on the wrong things. I think you got to. I think there's a tendency in everything, any sport, we all practice out the things we're good at, and we should be practicing our faults. Yeah. Um, and actually, despite his sometimes looking like a bit of a white boy, you know, he's got a first in university from multiple languages. Yeah, that guy is, uh, he, he, he can surprise you a lot. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a sharp guy. I mean, and yeah. and obviously, I mean, it translates to his humor. I mean, it, it's hard to be that funny. So shout out to Lawrence. And actually, mm -hmm. I, I asked him what I should ask you. And <laughs> he, he didn't give me as much dirt as I hoped, but he did. He did tell me to ask you who is stronger, you or Lawrence at chess. So... Well, I mean, that's, you don't need to ask that. You know <laughs> that, that basically Lawrence, as I've told him, like I've told Demis, it's like, it's not their option. It's my option. I'm just much better than them. Lawrence like, keeps like catching me at work, like during a meeting, playing blitz, and he keeps saying he's up. But when we get down to it, <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's pretty good. Okay. He's a, better, he's a better chess player than me. If I was really honest, if I'm being really honest, is he a better chess player than me? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is recorded and shared after all. We, we can't, we can't yeah. have that on the record. Um, <laughs> and the other thing he told me to ask you about, and I, had, I have no, no, no mm. knowledge other than these two words, are the chocolate. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's just a ridiculous opening I made up, which is 1b3, no bishop b2, but the second move is h4. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and B6 and H5. And actually, I won a lot of games with it. Actually, in Bullet, for a while, it was just like, I just used to be everyone with it. And I think it was just, they could never, like, they could just never take it seriously. Well, it is rubbish, let's face it. But also, it just, like, throws people. Um, I played a lot of games with a chocolate. It's a good opening. Okay. Huh. I thought it was going to be some insane story, but I I'll take it. I'll, no, I'll, I'll, there's I'm... no, there's no sex, drugs, and rock and roll with <laughs> okay. chocolate. I'm afraid it's just a chess opening, after all. <laughs> Not a lot you can really do with it. Huge disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so Ali, we're going to take one more break and then uh, talk a little sure. about your career and wrap things up. Listeners, I just got an update from aimchess.com, and unfortunately, I'm still behind on the clock 72% of the time. Working to get better, progress is not just a straight line upward, but I am getting better in the other aspects of your game, which Aim Chess can measure, which are openings, tactics, endings, advantage, capitalization, and resourcefulness. And of course, Aim Chess automatically gathers your games from the major chess playing sites to give you actionable insights and even quiz you on tactics that you may have missed during your game. So please go to aimchess.com and check out the product. And if you do decide to subscribe, use the promo code perpetual30 to get a discount on aimchess.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Ali, we are back. And my next question for you, I recently got to interview uh, Grandmaster Hans Neiman, who also, as we record, is making some noise. The Reykjavik Open is going on, and he is 3-0, three, yeah. three and oh, although by the time this comes out, the tournament will be over. Um, and in, our, in, a, in my recent interview with Hans, he's you know at that sort of <laughs> unique moment in life where he's clearly a talented young chess player, 18 years of age, but he could also go to a good university. He could have also, he had a successful Twitch stream, um, but Hans has decided basically to push his chips in and he's studying chess 10 to 12 hours a day, um, trying to maximize his ability. He wants to be a top 10 player. And I'm curious, like, do you ever get asked for advice by young, talented chess players? And generally, do you, as someone who's been successful outside of chess but still loves the game, like, what do you advise in terms of 
which direction people should go? I'm not sure really. I don't think there's a general advice. I mean, I guess I would always say to a young person playing chess in that, well, even not quite that level or below, I think it's quite important to like try and maximize your potential. You know, I think like for me, I kind of, like I said to you, it just annoyed me for so long that I just didn't, for me, well, I think come anywhere close and it just does annoy you and and great on you. I, I would have, like to have become a grandmaster just to finish the job and then stop um so i would definitely say do that i mean personally i'm not such a so keen on things like universities um even for my own kids even though they all go to one and actually they're doing masters and all that phds even phds um, other kind of further courses i i think we live in a world where there's so much you can learn and maybe even narrowing too much unless you want to become a doctor or or you know something very specific um i don't think there's any need for it but maybe i'm just being biased with my own experience because i've just done too many different things yeah it could be and so again bringing it back to the success you had in the financial markets you describe it as not as challenging but once you did have your foot in the door bringing like uh working with david norwood were you working hard to acquire the knowledge necessary to become like a successful private investor or was it again sort of like chess where you're just around the culture and you picked it up from there um a lot a lot yeah a lot of practical let's say trading on the job and learning on the job but probably i actually worked a lot harder in in finance than i did in um chess you know finance trading is a almost a 24-hour, five-day-a-week obsession and just nothing, it doesn't stop. Um, and there's always something happening. You know, it's impossible for something not to be happening. So, you know, you kind of lived a life where, you know, there's no sort of dull days. <laughs> just there's constantly some company somewhere, some investment, something in the market, some crazy stuff always kind of going on. Um, so I think... I probably did work harder, but still, even that, I mean, to this day, I still, there's there's big holes probably in my knowledge in classic finance, um, but I kind of got a good grip of what risk means. Interesting. And um, we're, we're going to bring it back to chess in a minute, but just out of mm-hmm. curiosity, so what, like, did you have a sort of investment or trading style? Like, was it based on valuation, based on macro considerations, based on a company? Um, I mean, I would say I prefer company fundamentals, really single company investing trading, because I think there you can really have a huge advantage. Um, you know, because they're just less efficient, less people know about them. What looks like a kind of pretty boring, benign mini breakthrough can be a massive breakthrough, and it just takes long takes longer for the rest of the markets to work out. Whereas if you're, you know, I have traded very large stocks a lot. It's a pretty efficient market. <laughs> you know, you've got a kind of, you know, maybe it's just too too difficult. Um, so yeah, I prefer kind of smaller companies, you know, companies that you can really spot, uh, you know, get a major edge by saying, look, I think this, this is something that's going to be very big potentially. Gotcha. And what was your best investment? My best investment? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the last two companies I've run, you know, the silence therapeutics, I think went from five. 5p cents if you want to 600 wow. and this one from 3 to 25 26 i mean there have been quite a few of those there have been some gigantic blow-ups as well it's, it's, <laughs> inevitable. it's inevitable but uh in the main i can't complain too much i've uh, seen probably five or six enormous market crashes where you know you could have been completely wiped out, and I'm still standing. So maybe I even made good profits in those years. Uh, impressive. And Ali, as a sort of student of markets and market cycles, I mean, I he- here as we record this, chess is, <coughs> and to my mind, basically as popular as it's ever been. Um, how do you assess this chess boom? Do you think it's going to last? 
Um, I think it's it looks like it's tapering off too much kind of volume of you know videos and uh, openings. But I think it's 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 found a new level of interest, if you like. But yeah, there's a little bit of worry that people get bored of it, especially after lockdown. I mean, I think one of the issues with chess is that um, I think new people coming into it are kind of thinking they can almost control it by learning openings, and just openings themselves will do it. Um, and um, actually. You kind of need to know how to play chess. <laughs> That's is a bit of a problem. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite, I think. <laughs> yeah, and ultimately, you know, openings don't matter so much at all. Is the honest answer. I mean, they do at the very top level, but for virtually everybody. If you're spending too much time on openings, if you want to get better at chess, I think that's the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I, for the majority of people, I, I definitely agree. It's not <clears throat> not that you should ignore them entirely, but uh, no. but and if you decided you were going to make GM uh, Ali, yeah. I know you already said you're you're not you're not gonna you know start playing first Saturdays in Hungary, but mm, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> never um, know. But what would you need to do chess wise? What kind of work would you put in? God, where do we start? <laughs> uh, I'll do some openings. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I'd, ha- I'd have to brush up on a few openings. But if I was really kind of serious about it, I think actually end games are very important. That's kind of, yeah, I would, I would do a lot of work on end games and very, very dry positions where, you know, try and... <laughs> Doing nothing well at chess is a magic formula to get really good. Doing nothing well? Yeah. You know, being able to play, I think Kasparov said that, let's say a world champion can play play like 13 or 14 consecutive waiting moves, which slowly improves his position. And when you boil it down, everyone is a sliding scale downwards from there. Because to actually play, let's say, six optimal waiting moves, without making a mistake it's actually very hard seven eight it gets harder and harder you know nine ten is like you know you're getting into sort of 2600 territory 2700 territory and what you kind of the, the kind of i think the, the the formula if you like is when you look at the sort of play look at well magnus has slightly changed his style but magnus even hikaru all the great chess players they they it's it's, it's a sort of who can make the first mis- mini mistake and they're just very good at just playing the best or second best moves consecutively um, and everyone else falls at those hurdles so you know playing beautiful chess is very different to um, kind of being patient and letting your opponent make a mistake it's yeah. all about pressure really yeah yeah well said it's um and do you have any favorite, like, did you read a lot of chess books? Do you have any favorites? Hmm. I've never read a chess book. <laughs> I, had a, I had a feeling you were going to say that. I Basically, when I was younger, I used to have a few chess books lying around, and I'd randomly open them at certain positions and just look at the diagrams. And actually, you know, probably like the, the book that made me improve the most was like a really big encyclopedia of chess combinations. You know, uh, yeah, that's a classic. But I used to just like literally, I don't think I ever went from like the first one to the last one, but probably over a period of three years, I probably did all of them somehow. Um, And I literally did all of them and I knew all of them and I was very fast at combinations. Um, In terms of chess books, though, the idea, I don't think I've even got a chess board. I've I've never sat in front of a chess board with a book ever. ever <laughs> um so yeah i think if i was going to get better that kind of combinations i wouldn't do so many combinations because that's probably what i'm good at but you know there's encyclopedia of end games for example i think those i would do try and get as good at that i remember julian hodgson once saying to me that he became 2600 by basically becoming really good at king and pawn endings, <laughs> which you would have thought is like, well, how many king and pawn endings do you get, Julian? Not that many. Um, but then 
end games in general, it's just, especially, as I said, you know, you're not going to be able to wipe most good chess players off the board. Inevitably, you'll end up in some sort of middle end game. And, you know, it's the sort of bit that people just don't pay much attention to, but a lot of points are won there. Yeah, it's a good point. All right, Ali. Well, this has been amazing. I mean, my last question is just to make sure I didn't I didn't miss anything. Like when you reflect on the experiences you've had both competitively and also sort of socially in in your life around chess, which obviously is not your whole life, but do you like do you have any favorite memories or stories that we haven't touched upon? Yeah. <laughs> that can be shared. <laughs> Let me think. Let me think. I think one of my favorites is the one-minute game I played on Zoom with Magnus and everyone watching it with Demis and with Lawrence Trent, um, where we sort of had a side bet, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, and I was just so lost. You'll probably find it on Twitter. And Lawrence played this move, Bishop D2, and just like it was basically mating two. It was like he just was so winning. He had probably had about 10 different mates. So he played this move, Bishop D2, and obviously just resigned after I did it. So to this day, I still call him now Bishop D2. So I, don't actually, I don't actually call him Lawrence. In my phone, he's it's Bishop D2 when it takes me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Shout, shout out again to Bishop D2. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, Ali, this has been great. Um, and if, if anyone wants to reach you for advice or anything, are you reachable or prefer? Yeah, I'm, on, uh, I'm on Twitter, DM okay. or whatever. I'm around. I'm sure people will find me easily. But... Excellent. Well, I will I will uh, drop that in the show notes. And, and yeah, this has been um, this has been a lot of fun. So, so thank great. you, Ali. Oh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give... Major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free Perpetual Chess if that's your preference. So, But most of all, thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.